Are you a small business owner looking to take your business to the next level? Are you interested in starting a business but don't know where to begin? Welcome to the Source Capital Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs gain a better understanding of the capital raising process and help them get the funding necessary to start and grow their business. I'm your host, Corey Townsend, and I help people start and grow businesses. Use those businesses to create and manage wealth and use their wealth to establish and preserve their legacy. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Source Capital Podcast. I am your host, Corey Townsend. Today, we are turning the tables and I'm going to be the guest of the Source Capital Podcast. In this episode, my friends and mastermind cohorts, Amberly Grant and J.D. Roth, will be asking me some of the questions that I typically ask our guest. This episode is going to give you some insights on what makes me tick, why I'm passionate about small business, and why I created this podcast. So get your popcorn ready, buckle up, and enjoy. I guess my first question, Corey, is tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What's your background? I'm originally from Northeast Alabama. I was born in Jackson County and grew up in Huntsville, Alabama, the space center. And typical middle-class upbringing, my mom worked for a computer parts distributor. My dad worked as a janitor for a fast food restaurant. And nothing particularly unusual about my upbringing, I suppose, but I wasn't really exposed as a child to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship, but I always kind of had that fire or bug to, that I wanted to be in and around business. And, and because I didn't have a whole lot of influences or mentors or exposure to entrepreneurship and business owners, it was something I kind of had to figure out and navigate on my own. I figured the best way to do that was to go to college. That's what everybody said you were supposed to do. And so I went to Auburn University, studied economics at Auburn. And then my first job was in Nashville, Tennessee, working for Bankers Trust in their retirement services group. There we helped Fortune 500 corporations in the administration of their 401k and defined benefit plans. I worked on the Texas Instrument Plan and IBM plan at the time. That company was acquired and worked there for an additional six months or so, but decided I want to go back to school, trying to figure out how to make my real foray into business. So I decided to go back to law school. Went to law school at Texas Southern University in Houston, Texas. Studied in Texas Southern. When I graduated, wasn't quite sure exactly what I wanted to do and where I wanted to end up. So I decided to move to Atlanta and sit for the bar exam. While I was studying for the bar exam, I got a call from the Internal Revenue Service and had an opportunity to go into their honors program. I did well in law school, so qualified for their honors program and went to DC and interviewed in the Office of Chief Counsel and had an opportunity to go work for them in their financial institutions and products division. I worked in the insurance branch and found out in pretty short order that government work was probably not what I was cut out for. So after a year in that program, I decided to move back to Huntsville, where I grew up and started working with Morgan Stanley in their wealth management group. I joined a team at Morgan Stanley, worked there for about two and a half, three years. And then the entire team moved to Merrill Lynch. And we set up two offices. We kept an office in Huntsville and then we set up an office 
in Atlanta. And once we made that transition, I decided to move to Atlanta. And I've been in Georgia ever since, it's been about 15 years now. Worked with Merrill Lynch for about six or seven years, still trying to navigate and figure out, okay, how can I get into what I really want to be doing and what I think I'm called to do, I guess, if you will. Do you feel like you know what it is that you're called to do and what you want to be doing? Or are you saying that's what you're trying to puzzle out? Well, that's what I was trying to puzzle out. It was a winding road to get there, for sure. I think what I'm doing now is absolutely what I was called to do. And it just took me a long time to get there. And I think probably that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I would share with anybody is try to find mentors and people that can help you figure out what it is that you're good at, what you're called to do, and how you can get into a position to do that. I had a lot of opportunities to do really what I'm doing now over my lifetime, but didn't really have the relationships and connections and the network to say, hey, this is a great way to get to where you're trying to go. You don't necessarily need to go and borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars, continue to get more education. You can get education on the job. And this is a great way to do it. Now I work for a $22 billion community bank. I provide small business loans to entrepreneurs getting started primarily through the SBA's loan program. And when I was a freshman in college, I had an opportunity to go work for a bank. And I work with people now who basically did just that. They started working for a bank when they were younger. They spent 30 or 40 years in the bank and they're doing the exact same thing that I'm doing now except I've got a six-figure student loan albatross hanging around my neck. So it's always, you know, where you come from matters, but it's also important to seek out and find people that can help you get to where you want to be. I think mentorship is essential. I think you're right, Corey. I think that you brought up this notion of networking. That's not what you called it, but I think that's very important. And one other thing that you touched on that I know is important for my own life is this whole concept that sometimes when you're younger, you can't see where you're going to end up. You just have no idea. So you're just making the best choices you have available at the time for you. That includes law school, getting an econ degree, and so on. And you didn't know what all that was building to. But now, with the benefit of hindsight, you can say, oh, well, that led me here. And assuming you like what you're doing, and it sounds like you do, that's a great thing. And I know the same was true with me. When I look back, my young adulthood was just chaos. It didn't seem like anything was connected. In retrospect, that was all leading me to be somebody who could write and speak about personal finance and the psychology of personal finance and understand the struggles of being in debt because I was in debt that all of this led me to where I am today. It sounds like the same thing happened to you. That's something that I think is important for people to understand. Even if you can't see where things are going, someday you're going to end up, hopefully, in this spot, and you'll be able to look back and say, oh, all these experiences led me here. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I certainly don't regret any of the decisions I made because without those decisions, I wouldn't be here. But to your point, I think it is so important. And for a lot of people, it's a missed opportunity to build and grow your network. For me, everything was about kind of checking off the next box. You know, you got to graduate from high school. Well, I checked off that box. You got to go to college. Well, I checked off that box. And I didn't really take the opportunity to take full advantage of the process, right? I was too focused on the objective and the end goal and not really the process, okay? Yes, you're in college, but you should try to excel at college. You should 
build your network in college. And those lessons I didn't really pick up until much later. But you're you're absolutely right. I'm curious too, because you're highly educated. And we talked about how, you know, that's actually probably has led you to where you are today, even though you might have had little symbols along the way. What has it meant for you to pursue higher education? Like, why did you keep doing it? It's interesting. I love school. I love school. I love to learn. I love getting new information. But I think there's a disconnect, not just with me, but I think for a lot of middle class families where in the pursuit of the American dream and success, you're told that you have to do these things. And so kind of as I was saying before, it was more of checking off the box, but I also enjoyed it. So if I wasn't where I wanted to be, well, more education was probably the answer. And that was an easy answer for me because I liked it, even though I may not have been pursuing it in the way I should have early on. You know, that changed as I got older and got a better understanding of the purpose of education. But it was an easy thing for me to do because I enjoy education. I think it's essential and important. But all education is not the same, right? All education doesn't necessarily need to come from an institution. It can come from a job, a career, mentorship, or network. It doesn't necessarily have to be going to school and getting a degree or piece of paper on the wall. I was going to say, actually, I think more and more nowadays, people can self-educate too, not just with the internet, but with just a variety of tools. I don't have any formal education in history, for example, but I'm constantly listening to history audiobooks and audio courses. And so I get a background in that. So I agree with you, education is vital and there's so many avenues now to pursue it. Yeah, I think in today's society, there's no excuse not to have a good education, irrespective of where you get it, because with the advances in technology, we're seeing all the information is out there. You just have to be willing to pursue it and do the work. And to me, one of the most interesting statistics that I've seen in personal finance is there is a direct correlation between the level of education and the level of income that a person, and this is talking about statistical averages. On average, the more educated you are, the more you earn. There's always going to be exceptions because it depends on what kind of education you're pursuing, right? What kind of jobs and what use you make of your degree. But the stats are very clear. that The number one thing uh, more important than gender or race or background or anything else is your degree of education. That's what influences your income. And I think too many people overlook that. Yeah, I agree. In the role you are in right now, it sounds like it really speaks from your heart and you can get to help others on their pursuit of their passions and dreams because you get to help small businesses with loans and getting started, really. What is the biggest challenge that you face doing that? I guess it's a couple of challenges. The biggest one, even with the SBA program, it's really hard to help startups and early stage businesses and those businesses which kind of need the most help because at the end of the day, the bank has to manage their risk. So startup businesses, new businesses are super high risk. Sometimes it's harder to help those businesses because, you know, frankly, it takes just as much work to do a $50,000 loan as it does to do a $50 million loan. And so it's hard to commit bank resources to doing some of the smaller loans that I think are vital for businesses to get started. So that's been important for me to build a network of alternative sources. If I come across an opportunity where I can't help somebody, I'm always happy to put people in touch with other sources that might be able to help. But secondarily, it's sometimes hard to get young budding entrepreneurs to buy into the process, right? And the importance of the process, how important it is to have 
a solid business plan, how important it is to have solid financial projections and those sorts of things. And it's hard to connect how those things translate into better outcomes when you do come to the bank with your financing requests. So those are, I would think, are the two biggest challenges in kind of bringing everything full circle. It's, it's all about trying to educate people and help them to get a better understanding of what the bank is looking at and the bank's perspective on the risk associated with that opportunity. And also trying to get the bank educated on the true potential of the opportunities that I'm trying to bring to the table in terms of entrepreneurs and their commitment to the process. Corey, is that part of your intention then behind starting your YouTube channel? It's to provide this like path to help educate small business owners to give them access to some of the information that they might not otherwise be able to have access to because they're not big enough? That's the reason that I started the channel is to kind of help people get a better understanding of what the bank is looking at, what the bank is looking for, and how to best position their opportunity and their business to get the outcome that they need in order to take their business to the next level. At the end of the day, the people making decisions about these financing requests are individuals. And so we have to put those businesses in the best light in order to get those individuals comfortable with the risk associated with that request. So as a small business owner myself, I'm wondering, like, do you have a piece of advice that you would give to a budding entrepreneur just starting out with their business? What are some like your top tips, I guess? I would say the first and foremost, you need to have a solid business plan. A lot of people turn their nose up at having a business plan. I had somebody recently tell me, I'm in the business to do business. I'm not in the business to write business plans. But I think the importance of a business plan can't be overstated because it's not necessarily just for a bank or an investor or somebody looking to help you with your business. The business plan is also your roadmap for how you're going to be successful with your business. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs overlook that and don't invest enough time in the business plan. You can also go the other way and put way too much time in your business plan and go through a process of analysis paralysis and not move forward. So, you know, you need to put the appropriate time and investment into your business plan to make sure that you've laid out the steps that it's going to take in order for you to be successful and that it's communicated in a clear way so that when the bank looks at it, they get a clear understanding of how you're going to be successful and ultimately how the bank is going to be repaid. You also need to have solid buttoned up financial projections. How are you going to make money? What expenses are you going to incur? And how are you going to be able to pay bank back if you're looking at a loan? Or how are you going to be able to return profit and income to your investors if you're seeking equity from someone? Those are my two biggest tips. So do you already have videos on your channel about business plans? Or is that something we can look forward to in the future? That's something you can look forward to. In the <laughs> well, I do look forward to it. It's helpful. <laughs> Yeah, in the meantime, I'm curious if you recommend a book or course before people obviously will come to your YouTube channel to check it out. But what book or course would you recommend for people to get started for a business plan? For business plans, what I would recommend, the SBA has a great program nationwide through something they call Small Business Development Centers. Here in Georgia, they are run by the University of Georgia system, and you can go pretty much anywhere in the state. It's one-on-one counseling and advice and consulting at no charge on putting together your business plan. I recommend that over necessarily a book because what these offices allow you to do is go in and say, 
this is the type of business that I'm looking to start. And they can provide you with industry information, what the financials of the industry looks like, the trends, and they can help you make a better decision about entering into that particular business or that industry. That's the kinds of resources and the kind of information that a bank is looking for. You know, what does the industry look like for this business that you want to start? That's a great resource that you can utilize at no cost, and they're available all across the country. It's funded by the SBA. Can these small business development centers, are they able to help connect you with other people that might have similar businesses that you're looking to start or otherwise network? They can. They work with startups and existing businesses equally, and they can certainly connect you. They have a number of programs that you can participate in where it's a small group of entrepreneurs and they can help you if you're starting your business, looking to grow your business or expand. What is a common myth or something that people don't know about what you do? The most common myth that I get because I do SBA loans is that there's free money somewhere. Everybody thinks the SBA has given away money. And that's probably the most misunderstood thing about what I do. Basically, the way that the program works is my bank and banks like mine will provide financing to small businesses and the SBA will provide a guarantee in the event that the loan goes bad. And that guarantee is sort of a shared loss. It's not as if the SBA is going to come in and fully cover any losses that the business experiences. So in the event of a default, typically the SBA is going to guarantee 75% of the loss. And that's often misunderstood. Most people think that the SBA is going to come in and there's zero risk for the bank. But the bank has to go through a number of different steps and processes and procedures to make sure that they get that 75% guarantee. And if they mess up on any one of those steps or processes, they don't get the guarantee. And so oftentimes entrepreneurs will say things like, well, why won't you do my loan? There's no risk to you. The SBA is going to guarantee it. And it doesn't exactly work like that. There, There's no free lunch even with the SBA. I've got a question. I mean, this might be kind of out of your ballpark, but I don't think so. I think it's kind of right in line with what you do. I know, for example, my girlfriend, she really, really wants to stop working for somebody else. She wants to start her own business. And in fact, about five years ago, she tried to do that. She's a dental hygienist, so she thought she would make teething necklaces or having teething necklaces made. It was a natural leap for her. And so she started trying to do that, but it was kind of overwhelming for her. And in the end, the business only lasted a few months and she broke even. She spent a couple thousand dollars. She made a couple thousand dollars. It was just gone. So, Corey, based on your experience, I know there's got to be a lot of people who talk to you who say, you know, I want to be a small business owner, but I'm not really clear on exactly what I want to do or how to make it work. Do you have advice for people who want to be entrepreneurs, but they don't know how to start? Again, I know it's going to lead toward a business plan, but how do you figure out what you want to do? I think... There's so many opportunities now with the way technology advances to be an entrepreneur. I think the first thing is you have to figure out for yourself what you're passionate about and what you feel comfortable with and happy spending a lot of time on, right? Because one myth is that, you know, entrepreneur is kind of the easy life. And once you own a business, you don't have to work as hard as you do when you're working for somebody else. And I think most people would say they work harder as an entrepreneur than they did when they had a nine to five when they were working with somebody. That's my experience in looking at other entrepreneurs. That's absolutely the truth that you end up working harder. Yeah. 
you definitely have to figure out something that you want to be doing and committing a lot of time to and working hard on, you know, whatever that might be. And I think that the way that technology has advanced the world, that opens you up to so many opportunities. If you want to do crafts, you can be a content creator around crafts. You can have a store set up in Etsy and you can be independent by having that type of business, creating content, creating crafts or jewelry and selling it. And the tools are there where it it doesn't take the type of investment that it would have taken maybe 15 or 20 years ago to do that today. Now, it might take you a while to ramp up to where you can sustain yourself with that type of business. And I think that's where the business plan can come into place and help you figure out that piece of it. But I think the first thing that you would want to do is figure out what type of business it is that you want to have. Because the way things are now, even if you wanted to have a grocery store or something like that, you don't necessarily have to make the type of investments that you would have had to make 20 years ago to start up that type of business. Because everything now you can send directly to people with the technology that's out there, with things like ghost kitchens and things like that. You don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars buying a restaurant and setting that up. You can cook in a ghost kitchen or a commissary kitchen or something like that. What is a ghost kitchen? <laughs> a ghost kitchen is it's like a commissary. Multiple types of restaurants operate in this kitchen and they utilize delivery services to get the food out. So they don't have a sit-down type restaurant or a food truck or something like that. There's no storefront. Correct. There's no actual storefront, but you utilize delivery services. You prepare the food, you have your traditional menu, and you utilize delivery services to get the food out. It sounds like there's different types of businesses that anyone can come get a loan or start on their own, whether you need actual capital to start up or do it themselves as a hobby first. If you could start a business tomorrow, other than clearly a YouTube business, which is what you're doing, (laughs) what would you choose? To you, what would be the most lucrative or interesting? If I were going to start a business tomorrow, it would probably be self-storage. I like that business model. It's low maintenance. I do have a rental property and rental properties can be a challenging business when you're dealing with tenants, but you don't necessarily have that issue with self-storage. So I like the real estate aspect of self-storage business. You can run it with a limited number of employees or run it yourself if you want to work in the office. And with the technology you have today, you can run it remote, just provide people with a gate access that you can control remotely. They provide their own logs. So it can be a very solid passive income type of business. That would probably be what I would start. This is actually interesting to me because that's one of the businesses Kim wants to start. And she's like, oh, we should do self-storage, but we have no background in it. But she sees it as an opportunity. And another thing at uh, FinCon recently, I happened to have dinner with, he's a pro skateboarder, but he's turned like uh, investment mobile. And one of the things that he and his team do is they go around and they buy abandoned properties, dead properties, like dead malls, and they convert them to storage units, storage facilities. And it's just fascinating. He says it's very lucrative. Yeah, self-storage is super hot right now. I've actually been looking for self-storage for probably the last 12 to 18 months and Unless you want to build it from the ground up, which I wouldn't be interested in. I would want to acquire one. Uh, they're hard to come by, though. It's a great business. Yeah, it makes sense. The way they're popping up in Denver seems like a great business. Right. <laughs> we all have too much stuff, is what it is. That's right. <laughs> we can't let anything go. <laughs> yeah. Weirdos. 
All right. Where can listeners find you online? Tell us about where we can find you. I'm on Instagram at Your Small Business Banker. Also on YouTube at Your Small Business Banker. And Twitter is at Townsco, T-O-W-N-S-C-O. What's coming up for you? What can we expect from those platforms? First and foremost, it'd be a regular pod. Also going to be putting out some written content here soon. Probably a regular newsletter type of uh, post and all those outlets. That's awesome. I look forward to actually watching more of your videos in the future. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Corey. Thank you both. Thank you for tuning in to the Source Capital Podcast, where we focus on helping small business owners because we believe entrepreneurship is the best path to self-reliance, self-determination, and self-ownership. I'm your host, Corey Townsend. For more information, check us out at YourSmallBusinessBanker.com or at YourSmallBusinessBanker on Instagram or Facebook. And remember, as legendary cartoonist Walt Disney used to say, think beyond your lifetime if you want to do something truly great.